This is the reference. Well, welcome along to this first episode of Irreverence with me, Jamie Franklin, and my good friend, uh, Thomas Pelham. Tom, it's good to have you. How are you doing, my friends? Very well, thanks. It's sunny down in Poole after a rather stormy Wednesday. So it's always nice to have blue skies, even if it's chilly. Well, that's very good. It's been raining here in Nottingham, where I live, and uh, there have been pockets of sunshine but I do emphasise that word pockets. They have not been um, sustained spells at all. Now, Tom, this is the first episode of Irreverend, and because we wanted to keep things um, uh, reasonably light, I thought we could talk about the fear of death today. Um, This is... uh, We're living in crazy times, aren't we, Tom? I mean, we're just living in absolutely crazy times. Uh, We're recording on, on Thursday, the 1st of October, and... And yesterday, there's immense um, uh, political events going on, um, which affect everybody's lives in, in a very, very significant way. And we've never seen anything like this, have we? We've never lived through a period of time like this. So in, in many ways, it, it kind of feels like the world is upside down at the moment. And uh, many people, including Christians, are wondering how are we to respond to this? What are we, what are we supposed to do? I mean, would you, would you agree with that? I would agree, and I think um, I think it's fair to say that since the last time a pandemic um, affected these shores, which I think arguably is 1968 and the Hong Kong flu, um, since that time, uh, this, the country has lost the ability to talk properly about death. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure that, that I'm sure there's a lot of wisdom in that, Tom. And so that's what we're going to try and do today. So we were just saying as we were preparing for this, for this podcast that we, as uh, reverends in the Church of England, I'm a deacon, Tom is a, Tom is a priest, we don't have a special competence in, in the science or in epidemiology, although obviously both of us have taken a real interest and read a lot. But really where we're coming from is, is from a, a theological perspective and from a Christian perspective. And that's why we have as a subtitle to this podcast, Faith in Current Affairs. It's because we want to bring, we want to bring our faith into the into the realm of public of current affairs sorry and we want to be able to comment on the the tumultuous affairs that are going on around us all the time but specifically from a perspective of christian faith and we want to talk about the difference that christian faith makes to us and what we hope it makes to other people as well so we're going to begin by talking as i say today about the fear of death and i think it's fair to say that uh, there's an awful lot of fear around uh, people are people are very scared much more so than normal and so we thought this would be a good way to start out so I think Tom what would be good to begin with is to talk from a from a Christian perspective from a biblical and theological perspective what death actually is Um, and I think uh, the scripture that that comes to to my mind is is in the book of 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 Romans and I'll just start off with this if this if that's all right in in Romans um, chapter 5 verse 12 uh, St. Paul talks about the way that sin came into the world through one man, meaning, meaning Adam, and death through sin. And I think that that kind of sums up the, the, the Christian view of what, of what death is, is that in the story of Adam and Eve, because of Adam and Eve's sin, the world and human life was subjected to what we call theologically the fall which basically means that, I mean, I don't know how you'd characterize it, Tom, but the way I think about the fall is that there is a sense in which the harmony and the connection between God and creation is is broken down. And we are subjected, therefore, to all kinds of terrible things which were not God's intention for creation. And obviously the, the the most significant of those is the fact that we, that we die and that we don't just die, but we die with a sense of, with a sense of loss, with a sense of grief, with a sense of pain, and also with a sense that death is, is and it's a funny word to use in some ways, but death is unnatural. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't feel right. And for anyone who's... Was, sure, carry on, carry on. I was going to say exactly that, that death is not something which is natural. It's not something which we are intended to experience. It's, this is why it is so terrifying. It's, it's an unknown um, 
Now, in the Garden of e- um, Eden, we are, we're told that there was no death, or at least no death in the same way that we experienced death. Nothing unnatural happened. Um, so it prevents us from, um, from fulfilling our, on our own, our potential. Death is, uh, is, the end, is the end of our potential. Yeah, yeah. It's an unnatural thing. Yeah, I think that's a very astute way of putting it. Um, yeah, it's an interesting question, isn't it? And I don't, I don't think we should go too far down this road, but there are, there are schools of thought which say that, that death could have potentially been um, not a terrible thing, but a kind of, you know, a, net, a, a sort of um, a transition from one state of being to another. And um, that it could have been a perfectly benign part of God's purposes, but that somehow death has been twisted and changed into something else to the fall. And um, I don't know if you remember in, in the C.S. Lewis book, uh, uh, Out of the Silent Planet, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's the first book, is it set on Mars, is it? I think it's set on Mars, isn't it? Yes, indeed, yep. Yeah, and the race, the race there, uh, they're called, I can't remember, they've got a funny name, but they're like these little bears, they're these kind of humanoid bears, aren't they? And basically they do... Oh, so they, beavers, maybe, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, maybe beavers. But basically they do die, but they, they're... Hurrah. Pardon no, me? Hurrah. Hurrah, okay. Hurrah, weren't they? Yeah, yeah something like that. Hurrossa, is that it? Hurrossa, I think that's it. I think, well, I think that was the, the, the verb to be in their language anyway let's not yeah, go there yeah, yeah but anyway, the point i'm making is that when they for a start they know ahead of time when they're going to die and it's a completely benign and natural and normal thing and there's no sort of grief or, or pain or anything associated with it so many theologians have speculated that um that that's the way death was going to be uh, originally and obviously we we um in in the more catholic side of the church you could say that doctrines like the assumption of mary and so on and even biblical motifs like you know the way enoch is taken up into heaven and so on these things might reflect something of that but basically all of that is to underline the point that death is uh, from a theological perspective it's not the way that god intended things to be and also on an existential level even people who are um atheists or don't believe there's any kind of purpose to you know, sort of higher purpose or spiritual purpose to human life. I think everyone admits that death is something that's death is something negative and and nasty and and horrible. And um, this is the reality that all human beings live, live with. And I think this is another thing which is really important to point out in this whole discussion, because obviously we're going to go on and talk about the coronavirus and everything like that. But there's also a sense, Tom, in which we have to accept as human beings that death is an inevitability. You know, we can't avoid death. It's something, you know, it's something which characterizes human, human life, every single human life. Uh, we, can't, we can't ultimately avoid it. And so in order to live a human life, which is in any way, um, is, any, is in any way realistic, we have, to come to, we have to come to terms with the fact on some level that, that death is inevitable. Is that, do you think it's a fair comment? I think it's, it's a very fair comment. And it's the sort of um it's it's almost a problem with our psyches um that we try and forget this fact i i, I sometimes wonder where, whether a lot of this panic that we've seen uh, around coronavirus is effectively the the boomer generation realizing that they are um despite the uh the rolling forward of human technology of medical technology of um of healthcare um still mortal still going to die um still uh, unable to avoid the fate that has befallen every human um, ever to be born or will before every human ever to be born, yeah. um, which is the past from, uh, from this world uh, and die yeah. uh, to yeah. be no more in this, in this place. Um, it's, it's interesting, Jamie, um, because but that's not quite the whole story, is it? Um, it's not at least the story which we tell at a funeral. And I, and I always find it very, it's always hard to stand up when you stand up in front of people who are grieving and you say, you know what, your grief is right and it's true and it's worthy and it's, it's, it's from love. Um, and it has a sting. And yet I'm going to stand here and I'm going to tell you that death has no sting, um, even though at the moment you're feeling it keenly. Uh, and here is where sort of theology and Christianity and the finitude of humanity have to start dwelling together. We 
are living in a world where we feel the uh, pangs of death and separation and yet um, we um, proclaim a risen saviour who has beaten that yeah. um, so I think Paul puts it really well in, in, as, as in all things uh, when he talks about seeing in a mirror darkly yeah. uh, seeing in a blurred fashion um, the truth of something which is going to be revealed uh, in, uh, in a very um, precise way um, once we have gone through that process of, of death um, that actually it is not the end it is not the end of uh humanity it's just the end of humanity in this world yeah absolutely um, yeah and so and, uh, sorry carry on no 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 well i've spoken a lot so but i was gonna say so death death needs to be we need to be aware of our death but we also don't need to fear our death um because fearing death in this life um just then ends up with paralysis doesn't it um you can't you can't live each day as if it's your last. It's impossible. I, either you'd you'd spend the whole time under the bed, shaking, or in wild hedonistic parties. Um, it's it's not you know neither of those is reasonable. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean that's the point, isn't it? That Paul makes in the the great chapter in one Corinthians uh, fifteen. You know, um, I got I I've actually got it open here next to me, but I can't find the exact. Um, the exact verse, but basically he talks about the way, you know, if, if, um, if Christ has not been raised, then, then basically we might as well forget about all this Christian stuff and, and go and go and sort of um, do something else, you know, make the most of, make the most of the time that you have. Um, but yeah, you're absolutely right, Tom. And obviously the key for us as Christians is, is Jesus Christ, who was crucified and, and dead and buried, but then raised again from the dead. And in that crucial um, uh, chapter in, in 1 Corinthians 15, St. Paul uses this metaphor about um, where he says that Christ is the first fruits of those who, who have fallen asleep, the, the firstborn among the dead, um, which he also talks about in the book of Colossians. And Paul uses this image over and over again, where Christ is the forerunner, you know, the one who goes before us. And it's through the resurrection that Jesus, um, Jesus gives us hope because we see his resurrection and in faith, we believe that we too will be raised uh, after, after the pattern, which is he has set out for us. And so Paul talks in this very strong, powerful way about how Christ has defeated death, about how he has destroyed death, about how the last enemy to be destroyed will be death and so on and so forth. So in, in the gospel, we see not only that God forgives our sins, but that through Christ, he destroys the power of death in, in our lives. And um, this, is a really, this is a really key point. I mean, one of the things I wonder, Tom, is in, in, you know, in, in the West, I suppose you could say, or in certain types of Christian churches, it might be the case that there's so much emphasis on, for example, the forgiveness of sins that we often lose this. We often lose this aspect of the gospel where we don't talk enough about the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ and of what that means for us as as human beings. I don't know what you think about that. Well, for me at least, it um, it confirms to me that what I do in this world matters. We're not um, we're not gnostic. Um, we're not uh, a sort of dualistic um, faith uh, by which I mean we don't have this idea of, of complete separation of flesh and spirit. Um, we are embodied spirit um we are um not just animated by our, a sort of controlling spirit but actually we we are a totality we are embodied um which means that um our actions uh matter yeah um you can't just uh you know put it away as a physical thing you you can't um you can't sort of make uh claims that the flesh uh, doesn't matter which some christians over the over the years have have tried to say you know uh, in the end they'll say it doesn't matter what you do because christ will forgive you but actually it does um i think um uh sin impacts us bodily and spiritually yeah uh, 
Paul's very clear about this. We're not so clear about saying it anymore. I think that it's important to clarify what, what exactly is going on here. And I have to say, if anyone's looking for a reading recommendation, for me, many years ago, my thinking of, uh, on these matters was clarified uh, when we talk about death and, and so on, uh, was clarified by reading Surprised by Hope by um, mm -hmm. N.C. Wright, which is a really good book, Surprised by Hope. And I think the thing that uh, Wright lays out really clearly is the biblical, um, the biblical teaching on what it is that happens to Christians when they die. And so the way I understand it, and, and feel free to chip in, but the way I understand it is if you look at a passage like Philippians chapter one, where St. Paul is in a prison cell potentially facing death, and he's wrestling with himself, you know, will I die? Will I go and, and carry on preaching the gospel? And it's, it's in that passage that St. Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And he talks about the way that he desires to depart and be with Christ. And he says that's far better than continuing on in the flesh and so on. And there are other parts, in, in particularly in Paul, where similar things are said, like in 2 Corinthians 5, for example, I think. I think that's right. Anyway, I haven't looked that up. Uh, where he says, he says a similar thing about departing and being with Christ. Now, however we understand this, I think that there are basically... Um, two possibilities really for us as, as human beings. The first, or as, let's say as Christians, the first one is that when we die, we go to be in the presence of the Lord. Now, we don't really know what that means. There's not a huge amount about it in scripture, but, but it certainly is what St. Paul, at least, um, expected to happen when he died, that we will be taken to be, to be with, with Christ. And of course, the other, the other, and I suppose you could say that's our soul that's going to be with Christ, not our body, which remains, remains on the earth and is buried. Um, and then I suppose the other possibility is, is that Christ returns while we're still alive as human beings. Um, that, that's the other thing that could, that could happen. So uh, the famous uh, Stuart Townend hymn, which you and I both love, um, particularly certain parts of it, but, but at the end, um, you know, till he returns or calls me home here in the power of Christ, I'll stand. You know, there's, there's two possibilities for us as Christians. We'll either die and, and depart and be with Christ or Christ will come and he will, we will be with him. Um, and so that, those are the sort of two possibilities now. But then when we, when we look to the future, what, what we call the eschaton, or when we talk about eschatology, the end of history, we believe according to um, the scripture, and according to the witness of the church, that Christ will return to the earth and that he will make a new heavens and a new earth. And I think the way I understand the role of the, the um, individual in that is that the spirits or the souls that are with Christ at the time will return with him and they'll be united, reunited with their bodies in the resurrection of the dead. And the resurrection of the dead is the time when Christ will raise the dead and they will be raised not in the sense that we are, we are physically, um, we are physically now, as in you know, with these kind of frail bodies which wear out and which suffer pain and, and so on. But again, in one Corinthians fifteen, uh, Paul talks about the way these bodies, the resurrection body, will be will be glorious and it will be it will be powerful and it will be immortal and all these kind of things. So the Christian hope ultimately is that the, 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 the whole cosmos will be, will be um, renewed by Christ. The, 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 the fall and all the effects of the fall, suffering, sin, death, um, decay, uh, what you might call entropy, I suppose, will all, be, will all be reversed and overcome. And that we as, as humans will have, will have bodies which are, which are, um, which are congruent with that, with that situation, which are powerful, which are glorious, which don't suffer loss, which don't suffer decay. And that this is something which will happen at the end of time. So the way I think about it is depart and be with Christ. And then at the end of time, we will return to this earth, but a renewed earth, and we will live forever with Christ in, in glorified resurrection bodies. Um, I don't know, do you think that's a good summary of, of the, the Christian hope? I think, I think that's absolutely, um, the, t the two-part nuance is, is absolutely um, critical. Yeah. Um, that, uh, that, that, that souls who die um, in this earth before Christ comes will um, spend time in heaven, we could call it. Um, it has other, you know, various names, um, uh, which will be glorious, but it won't be the end of the glory. It will just be the beginning um, 
uh, it, will, it, will, it will be remade, recast um, yeah. as ourselves, but as transformed in the same way that Christ's uh, Christ body was, was himself, um, had, its, had the same wounds, uh, had the same uh, um, kind of look to a degree, yeah. but, uh, um, but was it the same, in the same way different enough that people uh, found it, struggled to recognise him. Yeah. unless he allowed them to um you know um there's uh and there's hope in that isn't there there's hope because uh because everything um again this is embodiedness of the hope you know our, our imperfections are um I, I i hesitate to use the word but i will use it anyway um our disabilities our brokenness are you know because everyone is is, is uh, has these things they, they will be rendered into glory um and become more glorious um things that are broken will become glorious sort of um they will harbor god's glory in them um, yeah. yeah and the juxtaposition yeah and there is there is there are tantalizing glimpses in scripture as well aren't there like in in the book of revelation for example and christ still bears the wounds of the cross you know this is this is um i mean we don't know obviously this is speculative isn't it but but there is a sense in which it could be the case that the things that have made us the, the individuals that we are, which, which may include things which we've suffered, will be transfigured and not sort of obliterated or reversed, but somehow be taken up into, into the eschaton. And obviously these things are, it's mysterious how this could be the case. Uh, but nevertheless, I think we do see something of that with those, with those you know, the wounds which Christ still bears. He still, he still almost has, has the scars from from his glorious work on, on the cross. Mm. So, um, yeah, and I think as well, Tom, the other thing to say about this, to sort of apply it a little bit more closely to the situation that everyone's worried about at the moment, is that ultimately sickness and ill health, um, it's great, it's absolutely fantastic that we are able to, to an extent to, to, to cure sickness and to, to help people who are sick. Um, and obviously that's one of the greatest blessings and benefits of in modernity that we have but ultimately the the hope for human health and well-being is the resurrection of the dead it's the complete reversal of of, of sickness and, and and death which is accomplished uh, through christ and that that is that's one of the reasons i think that it's really important to stress this this idea of resurrection um, mm. is that the the salvation which christ brings about is not just the salvation of the soul which goes to heaven to be with God, but it's the salvation of the whole human body, of all of us, you know, not just a sort of spiritual part, but all, all of us, all of our experiences, everything that we've been through, all of it will be redeemed by Christ. And um, N.T. Wright has that wonderful phrase where he, where he talks about life after, life after death. And I think that that's, that really is, is a good way of putting it. Um, sorry, do you want to say something? No, I think so, and I think um, I, th I think in in terms of COVID, this helps us to put this into perspective, yeah. because um, one of the issues is that, um, and I think Giles Fraser wrote about this quite quite well today this this morning in in, uh, in an article in on in Unheard is that death is a tangible thing you can count. Uh, we can count death. Uh, and so um, it's very easy to fall into a trap where we start saying, because we can count death, it's in the only important thing in this. Yeah. Um, so because people are dying of COVID, that's the only thing we need to stop. And so therefore you can attempt to do more and more um, radical things to society um, as an attempt to stop those deaths, because it's very easy to measure them. It's very easy to... Um, uh, potentially um, be accused of causing them if you're in government um, and yet um, he points out that the things that can be balanced against deaths um, quite aside from any um, you know uh, modeling predictions of any sort I'm not that interested in talking about those but the thing that can be balanced against death tend to be intangibles yeah um, you know uh, flourishing human flourishing uh, yeah. Uh, social interaction um yeah. the economy um but uh, more importantly maybe than the economy or certainly than the economy the ability of individual humans to live a full life yeah um, the in the end the economy bestows upon us mm, yeah. in the end uh it's quite easy to think of uh you know in 
if you wish to live an entirely healthy life by eating nothing but, let's say, carrots and broccoli and living in a test tube uh, and, uh, you know, completely isolating yourself from the world, are you living, you, you may prevent death, you may, of course, not prevent death. There's an element of um, uh, the, the, the landowner who, who puts his harvest in a new barn and then says, well, lovely, I don't have to do anything else for the rest of my life now. Yeah. And the next day, God takes him and... and uh, he dies and his um his storing of of his of, of wealth has been nothing where well, you can apply that metaphor to health as well but um but there's also the sense that um is that actually worth it if you if, if in order to not uh, in order to not die we're not allowed to live a wholesome life um where how do you balance that and yeah. um one of the things christians can say is well actually um death is not uh it's not the be-all and end-all of this. Um, there are things that are more important than death in this life. And that's, for some reason, uh, become a controversial statement. Of course, uh, you go back 80 years into World War II, and, and you would, I think, find plenty of people quite happy to assert that their sacrifice, uh, on the potential sacrifice they were going to make, uh, was worth it for the um, liberation, say, of Germany yeah. um, or Europe from, the, um, from evil. Yeah. Uh, and and the idea that, that sort of nothing counts except for avoiding death takes us into a into an abject fear of death. Yeah, it is not psychologically healthy, necessary, or um, or or a good thing in itself. It, it, it's quite the opposite. Yeah, absolutely. And that was the thing I wanted to. to you've moved us on to exactly where I wanted to to go to next, which is to talk about. Uh, the 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 kind of effect that the gospel is supposed to have on us, particularly when we're thinking about death. And um, I'm, I'm reminded of the, the 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 passage in the book of Hebrews, where it talks about the way that through Christ's death, Christ um, Christ destroyed him who has the power of death, um, by which he means the devil. And it was the will of Christ to deliver all those who, through fear of death, were subject to lifelong bondage. And I think that's, that's kind of what you're getting at, Tom, is that um, fear of death leads us into, into, um, into, into bondage. And it, it's a spiritual bondage. But there's also a kind of very, very practical, physical, um, pragmatic bondage here, which, we're, which we do see um, very sadly in, in, in lots of people's lives, is that people have lost the capacity to live because they're, they're so afraid. And as you say, it does, so, it does rather raise the question of, of what is the point of being alive? If your life is going to be of, of such limited, um, well, such limited joy, such limited freedom, um, limited in terms of your, your social interactions, uh, limited in terms of your experience, is, is life worth living when, when life is, is, um, is entirely, entirely miserable and, and dominated by fear? And, you know, I don't want anyone to misunderstand what I'm saying. I, I do believe life is worth living and I believe every life is valuable. But the point we're making is that the gospel is, is meant to set us free so that we, we don't live our lives cowering in fear because, because of, of death or, or anything else. There, there's meant to be um, a sense of, of liberation as we look to, as we look to Christ in, in faith to, to save us, to rescue us. I mean, just to bring it bang up today, I was listening to um, press conferences and things yesterday, and um, and sometimes you hear this very, very religious-sounding language coming from from politicians. And, and yesterday, Boris Johnson said something like, uh, "We we're all awaiting the day when a vaccine will appear and it will truly liberate us." And this this to me is is religious language, you know. Uh, and what I feel when I hear things like that is that I don't need a vaccine to liberate me. Now, this is notwithstanding a conversation about vaccines and so on. But the point I want to make is that we have been liberated as Christians through Christ. And all, all right, we don't see the fullness of that liberation yet. But because we look to Christ, because we look to his resurrection and his ascension, his glorious ascension into heaven, and we believe that he will come again, and all of these things, we, we, can, we can be liberated now, you know, psychologically, spiritually, emotionally, and so on. And this is a, this is a, crucial, this is a crucial time, in my view, for the church to, to, to be conveying this message, 
is that we can be set free by mm. Jesus Christ. You know, we can be, be saved and set free and we can have hope and we can live a life which is joyful and we can also live a life which, which contains some risk taking because ultimately we, we know that, that Christ will, will restore us if, if we mm. do die or if, if terrible things do happen to us. And I do, I do feel, sorry Tom, just one more thing. I do feel, you know, I do feel like it's, it's important as well to say that these words are easy to say. You know, it's easy to say this stuff. It's harder to live it out. So I do, I do, I do acknowledge that. But nevertheless, this is, this is, I believe, what the gospel, the kind of thoughts and feelings and aspirations that the gospel should lead us to. Sorry, you carry on. No, I absolutely agree. And I, I just wanted to add in that really that that doesn't, we're not, we're not saying, you know, let's, let's um, uh, take scandalous risks with our lives just because we know we've been saved. I think that would be um, foolish. I think that's not part of what God wants us to live life in our fullness. Um, yeah. I'm not about to take up base jumping, for example. Uh, although, you know, I don't think there's anything inherently morally wrong to do that. But as a father to be and as a Christian elder in a church, um, I, I would, it would obviously be um, much more risky than perhaps uh, <laughs> would be sensible. I don't um, even know what it is, Tom, to be honest. That's where you jump off uh, cliffs with a wingsuit on. Uh, it's got a, incredibly exciting. It is very exciting, uh, but I think um, it's got a very high rate of um, yeah, yeah. people uh, hitting the floor at high velocity. Yeah. Um, so, and, so and, and in terms of applying that to, to this pandemic, I don't think anyone um, is saying, oh, let's just, uh, you know, let it all go, not worry about it. You know, that's not, um, we're, we're confused that people who, you know, Boris Johnson said this uh, um in his parliamentary address, you know, oh, some people are saying, just let it rip. I don't think people are saying that. I don't think anyone should be saying that. Um, I think that people, a uh, sensible thing to say is that we need to make sure that we're properly balancing the, um, the, the right to flourish with the, um, with the, with the danger of a disease. And um, as Peter Hitchin keeps saying, you know, it's not necessarily that there shouldn't be any public health interventions. Uh, it is that the ones that we have been doing are not shown to be effective, are incredibly damaging, and um, even if uh, even if they are effective, are potentially out of proportion to the threat of the virus. Yeah, yeah I think that's um, the key. That's the key point Hitchens is making, isn't it? That it's a disproportionate response. And I think that's really key. Um, we're not saying, you know, like some of the big churches in um, the famous thing in South Korea, you know, um, the virus won't get to us because we're Christian or just trust God and he'll protect us, just go around life as normal. That wouldn't be, I think, properly um, loving your neighbour. You wouldn't be helping other people live fullness of life if you if you spread the virus um, without, uh, without, you know, willy-nilly. But um, sensible precautions are one thing. State-mandated uh, incarcerations, um, and the destruction of uh, the economy, and most importantly, the restriction on churches to worship in a full sense, which is still the case, are not okay. They're not things that are ever going to be properly balanced against the virus. Yeah. Um, and, especially. And also, sorry, Karen. No, go on, go on. Well, the, what I was going to say is uh, the other, the other, the other aspect to add to this is that. Um, you know, I sort of feel that, that as Christians, there should be some kind of difference in the way that we respond, not, not just in terms of the analytic assessment of the situation, but in terms of our, in terms of our mindset. And um, maybe this is a good time to start talking about how we apply the gospel to, to the current situation. Um, because, I mean, Tom, it's, it's no secret, is it, that, that we have been subject to a, I don't really know what to call it, but it's, it's a, it's a campaign which is which is which is designed to alter the way that we think, the, the way that we feel, and ultimately the way that we behave. Um, now, I don't know whether people think that that sounds kind of um, paranoid, but I don't think it is because we have this, you know, this uh, the scientific advisory group for emergencies, Sage, and they have a, as far as I understand it, correct me if I'm wrong, but they have a kind of a behavioral response unit or something like that. People who basically yep. advise them how to get people to do what they want us to do. 
and there's a famous um, so so the sage no, the sage minutes were, were released and um, it, it must be said that they they were they were forced to release them legally they didn't want to um, but there's this famous quote that's in in one of them which is from uh, the 22nd of March 2020 and the quotation from this sage document says a substantial number of people still do not feel sufficiently personally threatened. The perceived level of personal threat needs to be increased among those who are complacent using hard-hitting emotional messaging. The perceived mm. level of personal threat, which is which another word for that could be fear, uh, needs to be increased. And I don't think it's I don't think it's in any way an exaggeration to say that they carried out that mandate. For, for months, really, and, and in, in many ways, it's still going on. Um, basically trying to scare people into following the rules. And, and now people listening might say, well, um, well, there should be rules, or I agree with the rules, and the rules are good. And it, I'm not really disputing that. But what I'm saying is that they have used fear as, as the, the method of doing this. And fear has an effect on people. It has a psychological effect. It has an emotional effect. And as we've been saying, people can become enslaved to fear. Fear can ruin people's lives. It's, it's, mm. it's, it's a dangerous commodity to be trying to, to scare people. And so, so I wrote down um, some of the things. Uh, so, you know, in the media campaign, quotations from, from adverts and, and messaging. Um, if you go out, you can spread it. People will die. You go outside, you can spread it. Now that's 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 put in a kind of uh, you know subjunctive um, mood there. But then the next the next phrase, people will die. If you go outside, people will die. Right? Um, don't pass the coronavirus to those you love. There was another advert of a of a hand knocking at a door, and um, the words "Don't let the virus in" were written on this on this advert. There mm-hmm. recently in Scotland. There is this, I, I, find it, I find it, to be honest with you, Tom, I'm trying to be reasonable here, but this advert, uh, which is this sort of famous slime advert, I, I find this advert to be um, offensive and, and, and dehumanizing. So let's, let's describe what happens in this advert. There's a young lady uh, in, a, in a kitchen with presumably her grandfather, and she has a, a, a globule of green slime on her face right and the the grandfather uh, basically asks her for a cup of tea and so as she makes this cup of tea and touches things in in the kitchen all of this green slime is being is spread all over the kitchen um and on the teacup and everything like that and while this is happening there is this there is this deep bassy uh, throbbing music which is which is straight out of a horror film i mean it is it is frightening music and then the, the, the advert climaxes with um, her giving the grandfather this cup of tea, which obviously has all this slime all over it. And then he drinks it and then he says, lovely cup of tea. And he's got slime on his face. Now, and then I can't remember what the, you know, what the, you know, the, 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 what the actual messaging says. But, you know, it's like, you know, don't, I think it might be that don't pass the coronavirus to those you love. So what this makes me feel, Tom, is that this is, this is, this is attempting to do something to alter, let's say, very intimate relationships, very intimate mm. family relationships between grandparents and grandchildren, between uh, parents and, and, and children. Uh, it, it's basically making us objects of mutual suspicion to one another. And again, like we, have to, we have to balance all of these things, don't we? But I, the thing I want to point out is that this is, this is, um, these kind of adverts and these messaging have been very successful in making people afraid. That, that's, the yeah. point. that's the point I want to make. And again, we have to say, we're not so much making a point about whether or not um, this is proportional or justified. What we're saying is that the, these things have worked and people are very, very scared now. Even, even of, even of um, seeing their closest relatives. And this is, this is kind of an unprecedented um, situation and as as we say it's resulted really in many people and i'm sure it's the case for you in your church tom it is it certainly is in my in my context many people who we we knew who were part of our church communities are just not there anymore 
and and they're not there because they they are scared of of, of leaving their houses mm. um, and they have they have now they have very little human interaction and this is not just a case for a few a few people this is presumably the case for hundreds of thousands if not millions of people in in britain who are still living with this with this with this terrible fear which is is dominating their lives i mean is that is that an exaggeration do you think no i think it's absolutely true and and i think even if they're not in their on their own terrified i think um for example nursing homes where there are very strict rules in place um, and there should be some rules and places, as I said, it's not unreasonable, but to the point where some people are not seeing loved ones, they're not being visited, uh, they're, they're, you know, possibly they've been in some nursing homes, have been now eight months, is it yeah. eight months? I think it's coming eight months without yeah, really yeah, seeing anyone. Right, yeah. Now, the, the median length of stay in, those, in, a, in a care home is, is only about 14 months. You know, yeah. the, the chances of them surviving and seeing people, there, there may be people who've literally been incarcerated. Yeah. Um, yeah. for the rest of their lives yeah. um and especially if they've got dementia yeah. or um you know, various other ailments uh they, they're going to be very confused they're not going to remember their uh, loved ones um their mental capacity is going to be declining even even if they haven't got any problems um in terms of uh, mental illness um that that will be happening because they're not getting the stimulus that they need that everyone needs yeah. this is part of flourishing it's it's you know how do we treat the most vulnerable well in this case we've we've completely locked them away and stopped them from from living in order to preserve their lives now i'm not certain that every one of them would have chosen that and i think choice is a key thing in this debate for me because my grandfather um made a choice not to uh shield um and instead to um live life as normally as he could and i think um uh obviously taking precautions he's, he's not he's not he's not foolish um uh and i think everyone needs to be able to make that choice the problem with these one size fits all lockdown measures is that they don't allow consent they don't allow choice um, they don't allow for one person who's who's worried to isolate and the next person who isn't to um, to not. Yeah. Um, doesn't each one of us and only each one of us can decide what what is best for ourselves in this matter. Um, yeah, and and again, the the, the blanket messaging um, of the government has been an attempt, really, to to I would say to in a, in quite an unnuanced way to convince everybody that we're all equally at risk. And that we and that we should all basically behave the same, which is which is not true. No, it's it's not true, is it? And maybe we should move on to this um, this this other this other big point. So as we as we say, you know, Tom, we're not um, we we don't we don't lead from a, a, a special competence in in um, epidemiology or I mean, you you know a lot more about statistics than than I than I do. But obviously, we've taken an interest in this stuff. And so we're going to get back to specifically uh, talking about theology in a minute. But I think it's fair to say, Tom, that there is what you might call an epistemic gap between the public perception of how serious this virus is and the actual threat um, that we that we face. Um, now, I would say that this epistemic gap exists because of the the effectiveness of the messaging of, of the government. And I don't think that this is a matter of um, opinion. This is this is um, this is the clear finding of um, of uh, surveys, which show, for example, one of them showed that on average, uh, the British public believe that seven percent of our population has died of the coronavirus. Um, on average, seven percent. So the actual figure is that about 0.07 percent of the population have died either directly from the coronavirus or with the coronavirus present when they die. And so on average, the British public believe that this virus is about 100 times more deadly than it actually is. And as I said, this isn't this. You don't need to be um, a, 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 a professor of epidemiologist um, epidemiology, sorry, to, to realize this. Uh, people are disproportionately afraid of this virus. They think that it's killed a lot more people than it has, and they think it's a lot more deadly than it is. Some other statistics here. So from February to early September, 
the total number of people who who were healthy and under 60 who, who have died of this virus is is about it's just over 300 it's about 307 or or there thereabouts um 95 percent of covid 19 overall deaths have had um people who have died sadly died of it have had two other uh, life ending conditions and the vast majority of them are in their were in their 80s and 90s um so we're talking about um 42,000 or so of the, of the people who have died now we uh, we have to say obviously don't we tom that that we've already said it of course it's, it's terrible when people die it's, it's incredibly sad and we're not we don't want to be callous in in talking about this at all the only thing we want to the only thing we want to say here is that there there is a there is a perception in people's minds that they might be at risk of, of dying from this virus when in fact it's it's just not true um not very many people under 60 have died of it i mean statistically a very very small amount of people basically nobody under 20 has died of it almost nobody under 30. you know it's important to know these things because it could be the case that there are lots of you know 30 and 40 and 50 and 60 year olds who are all perfectly healthy who are convinced that if they go outside you know they could be struck down at any moment and my mm. my point in saying this is that if if people are really worried that these these statistics are they are out there and and the media are increasingly reporting on them and i don't think it's even controversial to say these things i think these things are you know they're in the public domain that you know, if you go on the Office of Nat National Statistics websites, website they're on there. Um, so, so uh, you know, and and the other issue I suppose as well is that um, even people who are older, like my mum is is in her seventies, but she's perfectly healthy. Um, the risk to her is is you know, I mean, obviously she's got to make up her own mind about what the risk is, but it's it's probably not as significant as perhaps people might have thought back in March. And so I think that there's, um, there's, it's really important to, to say to people, almost from a pastoral perspective, that um, you know, there is an epistemic gap here between, between our perceptions and, and, and the reality. Um, I, don't know, I don't know if you want to comment on that, Tom, or, or, or should, we, should we move on to talk a bit more about the theology? Let's, let's move on. I think you said everything that we need to. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess coming into finish now, because we've been talking about this um, a lot, you know, we don't really want to sort of conclude by, by saying, well, you know, the, the risk isn't as serious as, as we might have thought. I think it's an important pastoral point to make. The way we want to conclude really is, is by going back to what we are talking about originally, which is that death is, is an enemy in this world and, and death is inevitable, but the gospel can set us free from the fear and the bondage that comes from, uh, from the, this knowledge that we are going to die and that death is such a, a terrible thing. And healthcare, as wonderful as it is, is not, is not a cosmic salvation. You know, it, it delays the inevitable. So even if there is a vaccine which turns out to be effective and safe, even if that does come along, it's not going to save us in a way that we need to be saved. You know, the only oh. way that we can be saved fully and completely and totally and eternally is through Jesus Christ. And so really one of my, you know, my desire really, Tom, in doing, in doing these podcasts is, is to say any kind of solution, any political solution, any healthcare solution, it will only ever be a temporary solution. As Christians, the Christian difference that we have is that we hope for something much greater. We hope for a much greater salvation than a medical uh, intervention. And if we succumb to the fear of death, if we really let it dominate our lives, we'll be enslaved by it, you know? And this is not God's intention for our lives, for us to be enslaved by fear. Um, Christ offers us freedom from fear and freedom from oppression, freedom from bondage, and ultimately freedom from death. And I think that that's, that's the most important message that, that we, need to, we need to drive home. I don't know if you want to say anything about that. Absolutely. Um, but I think, I, think, um, I think that goes for um, Christians, certainly. But I, and I also hope that some of what we've been saying strikes truly for those who, who haven't got faith um, in Christ, um, because even for them, 
um, fear is is not going to get them anywhere. And even for them, I rather hope they have a better idea for a vaccine, uh, for a salvation than a vaccine. Yeah. Um, you know, life is not, we don't preserve life for the sake of it. We preserve life to flourish. Yeah. Um, the yeah. Christ has given us that option that we believe as Christians. But um, uh, I, I mean, I, th- I think I'd, I'd rather hope that even, um, even those of other faiths, certainly, uh, but even those of no faith um, can see yeah. that there needs to be a balancing um, of our fear of death with our need to live. Yeah, it's like Jonathan Sumption, Lord, Lord Sumption said very, very eloquently, it's not enough just to stay alive, you have to live. And I think that that's such an important thing, isn't it? It's not enough yeah. just to stay alive. What's the point in staying alive if you, if you don't live? Braveheart, every man dies, not every man truly lives. Yeah, Tom, that's a lovely, that's a lovely note to end on. I think let's leave it there. I think next time or or one time, I think we really should really talk about, um, really talk about the social concerns that we have, because as we've hinted at a number of times, you know, people are suffering, suffering terribly at the moment. Um, Not, not, um, not really even primarily because of the virus at the moment, but in many, many other ways through unemployment, through social isolation, through um, healthcare conditions, uh, as you've alluded to, some of the suffering of the um, people uh, who live in, in old old folks' homes, um, you know, this is nursing homes, you should call them. Um, these these are really serious social issues. And, and so we just, we plead with everyone to, um, to everyone of, of faith to hold hold these people in, in your prayers and, um, you know, to try Turn and them up. Can. What's that, give sorry? Give them a call. Give them a call. Yeah, give, give them a call and do, do what try you and- can. Do what you can to help, but we, we I think we'll, we'll do some preparation and, and talk about that a bit more next time. But, yep. um, yeah, Tom, should we should we end this should we end this podcast with a prayer? Do you want to say a yeah. prayer? I can, or you you you're, uh, you're you're the priest. Do you want to do a prayer? Of course, Heavenly Father, give you thanks for this time that we've spent thinking about these issues. We pray for wisdom for our elected officials, for our government, for ourselves, and for all who have heard us and we pray for your blessing upon this world amen amen all right mate, I'm gonna Friend, thank you jamie thank you for listening to a reverend please join us again next time <laughs>